Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's a hole in my thumb. What the hell have I done to my thumb? (laughs) It's like a massive, like, bit of, well, not massive. There's like a bit of skin hanging off and it hurts. I had no idea what's occurred. I don't know how that's happened or when that's happened. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Kitty, kitty, kitty. Vex. <laughs> it's getting more elaborate. I swear every time it's getting more elaborate. It's the same one. I think you're just missing bits when I played it the last time. I don't remember the second meow at the end. But then again, I am completely exhausted post MCM Comic Con and I can barely remember yesterday. So it's yes, surprising. Yeah. I, I, I'm not entirely convinced doing a, a full podcast the day after MCM London was is possibly a good idea, but we'll see. So if there's a lot of kind of uh, through this, then that's why. <laughs> but uh, hopefully we'll get through this. Um, so I usually start off by saying, what have you been doing? But I know exactly what you were doing because I saw you yesterday. So uh, MCM, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, more than I do because I don't remember all of yesterday and I did a, uh, a Twitch live stream straight after MCM and um, yeah didn't know how many hours I'd been on the air so <laughs> that gives you an idea of how exhausted I was but it was absolutely incredible it's always worth it I think doing four or five events in one month was possibly slightly maybe a tad overzealous on my part yes. um, it has been an amazing month because we had uh, Steve Con up at the arcade club in uh, Bury, and then there was Play Expo up in Blackpool, and then there was EGX um, the other week, and uh, then MCM this week, plus various events in between as well. So it's been a blur. I've barely been home, um, but I've seen a lot of awesome things and met a lot of wonderful people. Yes, yes. The Steve Con thing, I've interviewed that guy when they had the TV show out, because uh, it was uh, Doro. The, Steve's one of the two creators of Go 8-Bit, isn't he? Yeah, they did Go 8-Bit on like the Edinburgh Fridge Circuit and stuff for quite a while before it got picked up by uh, Dara O'Brien and Dave purchased the, chat, uh, the show from them yeah. and developed it into a TV version. Uh, he also does a thing called Wi-Fi Wars where you all go to a pub and they have interactive games you play right, on yeah. your phone and yeah. you can like play Pong as collective teams against the other side. <laughs> so whoever, which team presses more up or downs between them collectively is which way the paddle moves and it's all very, very fun. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, he, he uh, for the first time ever, he decided to run a thing called uh, Steve Con. Yes, um, fabulous. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, he rented out the entire arcade club, both floors. Cool. And uh, yeah, you paid your ticket and you basically, we had the entire arcade for ourselves on free play and they were running, uh, they had Ashens doing some stand-up. They had uh, the gaming Muso playing some of his computer game covers on guitar. They were playing <laughs> Wi-Fi Wars and 
they were live streaming the whole thing as well. That was, um, yeah, that was great fun. That was well worth the trek. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a really fun event. Though. I'll have to try and come down and do it if he does it again. Yeah. I think it was pretty successful and um, everyone had a great time. So I would expect there will be another SteveCon uh, next year. Yeah. I, I quite like the side of that. I might have to come down and do that one. Uh, yeah. And then uh, EGX as well, which was the week before MCM. So I, I didn't do it for two reasons. One, I'm mildly protesting the fact they took it away from Birmingham and sent it to London <laughs> instead. Uh, and, and secondly, I didn't want to spend four days in London, come back for four days and then go and spend another three days in London. So uh, so yes, but EGX, I'm assuming, were quite good. Apparently, a lot of the a lot of the video game stands they were saying, which were at MCM, are, are exactly the same stands that were at EGX in exactly the same place. So they just left them. <laughs> they yeah, the, um, the Cyberpunk stand, I think, just stayed there. Yeah. Um, Which would make sense. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, there were, there were a few computer gamey bits at MCM, but not too many. Um, no. I think it was a reasonably good balance of things. Yeah, I mean, there was uh, all, all the, the PlayStation were there. They had a big cyberpunk stand. Um, there was uh, Xbox was there pushing the Game Pass. Um, there, there was lots of like little bits and pieces, not that many independent stuff. It was mainly the sort of big boys and the AAA games and things. But uh, it, yeah, it was nice because because of the fact that it's the week after EGX, they kind of kept little bits of it still there by the looks of things. So uh, I, I got to see some of it, which is good. Um, there was a huge stand for Medieval as well, that that um, remake of Medieval, which they're doing, which uh, I think I yeah, probably mentioned. Yeah, that looks really good. They had the giant um, head that you could stand under, yes. so it looked like it, but it was slightly too high. So even on tiptoes, it looks a bit weird for me. Yes, um, or, or you're quite short. Um. <laughs> but they have children are at these events. Yes, I am reasonably short, but even so, they should have had it on a bungee cord or something, I yes, think. But yes, it was pretty no, cool. Um, the stand was there and the, the game looks really good fun as well. Medieval is just such a nice fun a game in a world of everything which although i love everything super serious and looking forward to cyberpunk i also like things that are very silly so both of my uh particular niches are, are coming out with some good games soon which is cool yes i i'm gonna try and get the composers for that on the show at some point the composers from medieval because of the fact that i personally know one of them because i went to school with him so you know <laughs> Well, uh, it's all right for some, isn't it? Uh, so so I, I might try and get them to come on at some point and uh, and see if they can have a chat through because they've done TV shows and stuff as well. So uh, I might try and get the guys to come on at some point. Um, so, I mean, the main thing we're obviously going to be talking about today is is MCM London, which, you know, as you can possibly tell by both of our voices, uh, we, we were at for Yay. three days and, and are <laughs> suffering the consequences quite now. Um, so uh, let's start with, with your stuff because I did an awful lot of panels um, I, I know you did some of the comic stuff and, and went round and uh, chatted with those guys uh, wh what other things did you see while you were down there yeah I generally spent a lot of my time in the uh, the artist alleys comic village type places and checking out all the independent artists independent creators and things because um, there are so many people that you can only see or discover their comics by going to going to these events which is why I try and get interviews with them there were a lot of the usual faces that I see there um, the people that make crank rats cat she was there do love that for a bit of gas lamp fantasy um, obviously the guys from metal made flesh with all of their awesome Yes. cyberpunk stuff and super robot mayhem has another couple of issues out so i picked a, a next two of those out um which is kind of japanese inspired comic book about a, a um a young lad who finds a giant alien robot while uh, doing a standard mission in space yes um 
and uh, adventure ensues. Uh, that looks pretty cool. Um, so glad to pick up the next couple of issues as that one. It was really nice to see how large the comic village is at MCM. It seems, yeah. I think it's still growing. It looks like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, and they've, they've given it a lot more priority. It's, uh, I mean, for, for those that don't, don't know, MCM was it last year got bought out by Reed Pop, who were the people that run New York Comic Con and some of the other big American cons. So things at MCM have slowly evolved and, and certainly from a lot of points, I think have evolved for the better. Uh, like the, the, a lot of the guys behind the scenes are saying they're much easier to deal with in terms of um, you know organizing things which is really good because I love MCM they're lovely lovely people but they weren't always the most organized people and, and some of that has got a little bit better for uh, booking tables and that sort of thing apparently uh, but um, in terms of the content and the, uh, the 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 comic village they've really been supportive of the independent guys as well as getting a lot of industry guys in there's a lot more of the sort of you know marvel dc uh, the more well-known comic creators there as well doing signings so they've they've upped a lot of that which has been lovely as well as that the amount of um panels and talks and things going on on the smaller side stages which are how to start setting up your own comic company how to start writing suspense in your narratives how to do character design um or talking about the experiences they have and a lot of those things which there there was a bit before but there seemed to be a lot more um this time and you're looking at kind of the the panel labs not just for the the main stage but for all these side stages for all these smaller independent guys and they were fully booked even on the Friday. Yeah. They had so much stuff going on there. You could have easily spent every day just looking at panels and just watching talks. Yes. There was so much going on. And it was lovely to see the the sheer variety of things they had going on. And um, yeah, I was really impressed with that. I wish I could have gone to more of the talks and more of the panels that's definitely something i'm gonna set aside some more time for next time now i've realized just exactly how many they have there Uh, and seeing loads of the indie comics guys up on those panels sharing their advice and um, you know they're on the side stages but they're being equal answers exposure and some of the more famous guys it's really wonderful to see because there are local comic community and a lot of them are up and coming and a lot of these independently published comics they are really gaining traction and there are some incredibly incredibly talented people out there in the self-publishing world yeah definitely i mean there, there are some uh, an amazing variety of work across that comic village and uh, you know we i know you've talked to a lot of the guys there's a lot of videos up on your channel of of various guys i've spoken to some of them as well um just just such a lovely breadth of different ideas that you wouldn't necess- necessarily get in mainstream comics um i yeah i I'm a huge fan of that place and it's it's lovely to just sort of wander around and be able to chat to people and uh, and see just the variety of things and, and you know as I say if you there are a lot of the um the bigger guys there as well now where you can go and get comics signed and and stuff which is lovely and as you say there's a lot more stages the last couple of times we've been there so as well as a sort of comic creator stage which I don't think they they used to have there's a comic creator stage there's like a cosplay stage there's as well as the sort of main panel stages and uh, a few other places as well so yeah it's it's, it's really good they they're doing a fantastic job I think with um how they're putting everything together now yeah i'm starting to feel like three days isn't enough there's enough good yeah. things going on that i'm starting to feel like i can't cover it all in three days now and see everyone i want to say hi to which is a pretty awesome situation to be in absolutely and um, 
I'm trying to think what some of the, the highlights were for me. Uh, we had Ben Krafka there, who's the guy who does the How to Draw anime books. Right, yeah. And he's pretty cool. And uh, as with all the other artists, you could kind of just go up and show your portfolio to a lot of these guys and they'll happily give feedback oh, wow. and things like that, which is nice. I saw so many people going up and showing some of their work and getting ideas from from the guys in the in, in the comic village, which is lovely to see. They all seem pretty open to the idea of talking to people and, yeah. uh, and giving that kind of feedback and help and sharing ideas. The Bramble Teen guys were there as well. They do comics and games. And uh, I think sort of off the record, some of those guys used to work for Disney and things. So they're all right. pretty talented guys. They know what they're doing. Um, oh, Kieran Gillen was there. And um, I didn't get a chance to speak to him much, but he's a, a pretty awesome artist who works on some quite big name projects as well as all his own ones as, as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's worked on some uh, Star Wars Darth Vader comics as, uh, right, as well yeah. as The Wicked and the Divine and other things that people have heard yeah, of. It's, an, it's a name that I definitely recognise that so yes he's certainly worked on some big stuff. With the guys from uh, Moon obviously with their Moon comic the guys from Beyond the Bunker and um, yes. I've got all of Moon now so that's fine. Um, that's <laughs> never, a, have to, a, never have to deal with talking to those guys again. <laughs> they're, they're incredibly funny. Too, I know to, I love to, them. Uh, one used to be a comedian I think it was on the BBC um, and the artist also does a D&D podcast, which is very, very funny. Cool. Um, they are chaotic, but wonderful to interview. I've got yes. an interview from them from last MCM that's so silly that I'm having trouble making it into a cohesive interview. <laughs> I, I, I think you should just, just at the end of the weekend. Yeah, I think you should just put that that entire thing up as as is. And like, it makes no sense, but just put it up as is because it is hilarious to watch. It does show how funny and spontaneous those guys are. I mean, they did write a yeah. comic book about how the moon comes down to the earth every daytime when it's not on duty at the night. And it's just like a guy with a moon for a head wearing a suit biting crime. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if I was expecting sense, I probably had uh, my expectations slightly too high. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, the interviews I did this time included a comic book series called Skies of Fire, which is set in an alternate world, which has uh, got airships and things, and it's sort of slightly adventure-based story. But they've created an entire world. They worked out the circumference of the planet of their imaginary world, so that every time there's coordinates given to the airships in the comic book, they're correct. That's a nerdy level of detail, that is. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Vince, who's the, who's the writer, and um, yeah, he goes into detail. They hired cartographers to draw the maps. They hired people that specialise in World War One and Two engineering history to design the airships like absolutely ridiculous level of a uh, detail going on there so that was pretty cool uh, i also interviewed the guys that create a comic book called killtopia right yes i was sold from the name yeah that's a fabulous name for it, it uh, it's so called what's that? killtopia and uh, the short version of the plot is Neo Tokyo is taken over by killer robots. And instead of dealing with it themselves, the government just zone off an area, call it the Killtopia and turn it into a battle royale for sportsmen to go in and attack the robots. <laughs> right. What an awesome idea. The artwork's also beautiful in that one. I, I interviewed those guys. But to be honest, all I needed was the title. They had me at the title. And I think <laughs> I say that in the interview. I was just like, just, I saw the title. I was sold. Unfortunately, I didn't get a copy of that book because I was going to buy it on the Sunday and it had sold out. Uh, oh, well, I mean, yeah, good for them, though. At least it had good sold them. out. They had three copies of book two and no copies of book one Oops. by the time that we had the interview slot. Because I was going to like be like, yeah, and I'm going to get a copy of this in the video and couldn't because um, 
they were all gone. I was like, damn it, to take <laughs> my own advice. If you really want something, buy, buy it at the first yeah. point you see it because it will be gone. Uh, but yeah, those were pretty good fun guys to interview. Um, the other people I interviewed was uh, the guys from Big Punch Studios who we've mentioned before. They do various comic books. They're a collective of four people. They've made a, a card game. Oh, yes. I think we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but yes, the the the, the sandwich card game. Yes. Yeah, a competitive sandwich building card game. Yes, um, it's a fabulous idea. It's brilliant fun. I had a go at it there. We played it and videoed playing it and then did an interview about it. And um, there again, they write incredible comic books. They also do comedy podcasts and these kind of things. And yeah, it's a card game about sandwiches that they invented when they were hungry and locked in a car in traffic for hours and couldn't get any food. <laughs> so yeah, those are the three things I, I picked out to interviews. But there were so there were so many wonderful people there. I, I could have done ridiculous amount of videos uh, if I'd been awake enough to do so. But I picked out those three just because they were things that I, I hadn't seen before, and uh, they're just seriously fun guys to talk to. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were your kind of top picks of things you saw at Comic Con? Well, it was an interesting one because um, you know usually when we go to MCM. Uh, they you get to like wander around on maybe the Friday and the Sunday, but the Saturday they shove you all up in a press room. That didn't happen this time. Uh, they not weren't doing any like individual specialist press interviews. Well, there was one, but they they weren't really doing that. But what they were allowing is us to go in and film a lot of the panels. So one of the other upshots of Repop taking over is they've got a lot more exclusive stuff coming um, with previews, you know, like the things that you will get at uh, New York Comic Con. So they were showing preview clips of the Witcher series, which is coming to Netflix mm-hmm. fairly soon. They did a panel with uh, Klaus Bang and Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat for the upcoming Dracula series. Uh, we weren't actually allowed to film the Dracula panel because they were supposedly showing footage. The footage they actually show is the trailer, which they've now released online. So, yeah, so they could have just embargoed so, it. Yeah. I, maybe so, they had plans to show something extra before. Maybe they did. I don't know uh so there is an article going to go up about the dracula thing so you know you can see more about that but we weren't actually allowed to do any video for that uh what we did do video for was uh pennyworth which of course is now up on the stars play channel on amazon prime so you can go and watch the whole of that first series and they had uh jack bannon there ben aldridge who are alfred and thomas wayne paloma faith who plays the wonderfully bonkers bet sykes and uh, bruno heller who is the creator of the show as well we also had a, a preview of the first episode although as i say it is now all available on stars play anyway yeah it's interesting it's not quite what i i expected i wasn't entirely sure what to expect but it wasn't exactly what i kind of i don't know it, i don't know what it was going to be bruno heller's the guy behind gotham so you maybe expect it to be a little bit like that, but it's far more grounded than something like Gotham. Um, mm. He you- also created The Mentalist, though. That's probably the biggest thing he was known for before yeah. Gotham, which was, again, that was a series that was quite grounded. And as it went on, got sillier, which Gotham kind of did too. Yeah, and I, I mean, I rather suspect that Pennyworth will do the same, but it's certainly starting off at a relatively grounded point. Um, the the background of it, I mean, it's, it's the early days of Alfred Pennyworth. It's sort of when he first meets Thomas Wayne. It's set in London, although they've done some very interesting things with London. It's this kind of weird steampunky kind of version of 60s London is how they've set it. So that's 
quite cool. Jack Bannon's Alfred Pennyworth is sort of based on the Michael Caine version more than anything else. Um, he's he's kind of channeling Michael Caine and it's got very much got that Michael Caine sort of accent to it. So so it's it, it's almost, if it was a prequel to anything that's already existing in the Batman universe, it's the Nolan movies more than anything else, I guess. So it's got this kind of weird sort of off-kilter, alt-history feel to it, which is quite nice. You've got uh, Jack Bannon playing Alfred, uh, Ben Aldridge playing Thomas Wayne, and Tom, this is sort of Thomas pre-meeting Martha. Um, he's he's not just this sort of billionaire. There's something else going on with him as well. The first episode sort of shows them kind of crossing paths for the first time, and uh, they, they kind of cross in and out of each other's lives as the sort of show goes on so they're not like it's not like a buddy thing where they meet immediately you know i'm quite excited for it to be honest i like saw the trailer and i i really kind of like the look and feel of it i'm not sure where it's going to go overall with the arc of the whole thing but i like the idea of having a show about pennywell who doesn't get as much showcasing as he should one of the um batman cartoons did quite a lot with his character the one that was 3d rendered um, right, yeah. i can't remember which one that was it wasn't I the batman remember. it was um one of the later ones but um yeah, he's a character that has a, well, they always hint at this really interesting past and uh, he's quite a like well-rounded, well, well, complicated character. So it's nice to see him getting a bit more showcase. Uh, I also think it's quite cool that like Batman, because Batman's been around for so long, anything that's in the Batman universe now is sort of vaguely the Batman stuff set now. So whenever you do something that's sort of prequel-y, you have to sort of move or shift the time frame yeah. of where the prequel stuff is because they can't have met in the 60s and then Batman be set now because otherwise Alfred would be sort of like, you know, much, yeah. much older. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so they, they have to kind of slowly make it not particularly any time or place, which they did with Gotham as well. It was kind of sort of almost set now, but not. Yes. And they couldn't have mobile phones because that would have kind of spoiled a lot of the, well, it would have made the plot writing much more difficult. Um, but then it clearly wasn't also set in the past either. So they kind of make this weird in-between, yeah, alternate history kind of time. And I quite like that as a, as a world-building exercise. So I'm interested to see how that goes and if they are they are going to tie that into Gotham at the end of it or are they going to keep it as a complete standalone and, and stuff like that? I, I think it is going to be kept as a complete standalone and it is very much, as I say, uh, set in a sort of 60s London, but it's a very, it, it's kind of an alt history 60s London that they've picked up it feels very comic book like you know if you you're looking at sort of those the elseworlds kind of dc comics it feels like it's very much of that sort of thing paloma faith character bet sykes who is is wonderfully bonkers and uh, i mean paloma faith does an amazing job as that character who is i mean she's basically a sociopath and she's uh, somebody that they they meet in the very first episode starts to get rather obsessed with this young dancer called Esme who sort of has a relationship with Pennyworth played by Aaron McCorran who's actually going on to play Diana Spencer in The Crown as well uh, soon so it is a really interesting mix but I really enjoyed it and uh, you can go and watch the whole thing now as I say on Stars Play so if you want to go and catch up with that I really would urge you to go and watch it because it's it's a really interesting sort of delve into into that sort of DC history you know that background of those characters uh, from just a very interesting perspective 
Dracula, the panel for that was great because, of course, it's Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat up on stage. So that was that was wonderful. It's great seeing them. Uh, Klaus Bang, who plays Dracula himself in, in it. They showed that little teaser trailer, which you can now find online. Um, not a trailer. If you've got a thing about eyes, don't watch the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it comes with a bit of a... If you're not, you don't like people putting contact lenses in, there's a couple of seconds of this, which is significantly worse than yes, that. Yes, which will, will make you squeam. So, uh, yeah. Yes, don't, don't watch the trailer if you've got a thing about things going in ice. Um, but yeah, you, you don't get an awful lot. You get like a taste of the flavour of what they're going for. And they, they talked quite a lot about, you know, wh- how they're pitching it. It's not like Sherlock in that, you know, Sherlock was taking something you know, that was set in, well, various different time periods and modernising it. This isn't a modernised thing. This is very much set in the time period. They went and did things like filmed at Brace Studio where a lot of the Hammer Horror things are set. It's very much that sort of, you know, how much of a nerd Mark Gattis is for, for the Hammer Horror stuff. So, it, you know, it was him very much in his element, I think, when when doing this sort of stuff. They talked a lot about coming up with the idea of, of how they were going to handle Dracula, because if you watch a lot of the older movies, it, Dracula isn't really the central focus. He was kind of the guy lurking in the shadows and then he kind of pops in and out whereas this is much more focused on Dracula as a character. So Moffat talks about the fact that one of the reasons that a lot of things don't focus on villains because villains, when you break it down, they turn up at the last 15 minutes of the movie and you know explain their evil plan. And it's because they're not that interesting as characters. So when you're taking the person that is supposed to be the villain and, and then making them the central thing, they had to figure out how they were going to do that. So that's sort of one of the things that they talk about in the interview. Um, they uh, obviously talk about filming at Bray, which is uh, the Bray Studios, which is where they filmed the original Hammer stuff. They actually filmed at the castle where they shot Nosferatu as well. <laughs> awesome. So, what a so, brilliant callback. Yeah. So uh, the, and there, there are elements from sort of all the Draculas that came before, I think, are being mashed into this. You know, they, they're such horror nerds that they've just kind of gone back through and, and picked out little bits that they like from other versions of Dracula and kind of mangled all that in as well. <laughs> you can so, see it in the trailer as well, like all those tiny shots of like someone crawling out of a box and a shadow going across the thing. It's like all of these kind of tropes from all of these previous horror things, they're clearly winding it all into that. And I was quite surprised when I saw the trailer that that was kind of the direction they were going in. They really are making this something that is of the, the horror genre, but where the bad guy is the protagonist. So I'm interested to see how they make him sympathetic enough in order for him to be an actual character you can relate to rather than a slightly campy villain or a slightly um, just two-dimensional evil figure kind of thing. So it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how that series um, develops. Yeah, it is. It's going to be really intriguing. I'm I'm very much up for this. I think it's it's going to be a, a really good, interesting show. It's only like three episodes. I think they're doing that, but I think they're three like nineteen minute ones, like they started to do with Sherlock. So uh, they've not announced an actual date for it. It's just coming soon at the moment. So I, I rather suspect it may drop in January because that's when they used to release the Sherlock episode. So I, I think maybe they're holding it for then, but we'll have to wait and see. But there will be a full article on the Dracula panel going up on the website fairly soon. Uh, the Witcher 
was another panel that they did that had Lauren Schmidt Hessrich, who's the creator of the TV show, and uh, Freya Allen, who plays Siri. They had those two up there just talking about the show. They showed a bunch of clips as well. So we got to see a bit more than is actually publicly out there right now. Um, it looks amazing. It really looks good. Doesn't look like it's a TV show at all. <laughs> you know, they've, they've really gone to town spending money on it. Andrei Sapkowski, who is the author of the books, apparently is very happy with what he's seen and very excited about it. Although he has apparently avoided watching any of the full episodes. He's got access to everything. You know, they've given him kind of, you know, dailies and all that sort of stuff. And he's gone, no, I'm not going to watch it. I want to wait until it's kind of put together as an episode. I want to watch it as a final thing. So, so uh, <laughs> apparently that, that's been, but he, he's seen bits and pieces. He's very happy with the casting. He's very happy with what they've been doing with it and the bits he's seen. It is going to be much more based on the books than it is based on the games. Uh, the reason for that, Lauren says, is that the games are obviously brilliant, but they are also an adaptation of the books. And they didn't want to be kind of an adaptation of an adaptation. So they've gone back and using the books very much as their their sort of basis. There obviously have been changes. The roles of Siri, Siri and Yennefer have been upped quite a lot from the books. So they're, they're not exactly equal billing with Geralt but they are they are kind of more up there with Geralt they are very much the sort of the three primary people in it they've added some characters in as well which weren't in the books part of that was uh, there's there's a character called uh, I think they said Daria who is a, a, a guy who Siri meets when she's escaping and sort of running away and she's wandering through the woods. And part of the reason for doing that was they didn't just want a lot of shots of Siri wandering around in the woods muttering to herself pretty much, <laughs> um, which you, know, you can do in, in written form because you can, you can have all her internal thoughts written down. But the problem is if she's wandering around and there's nobody to talk to, it makes it very difficult visually. So they added another character in there. So that was one of the sort of examples of... Of, of how they change things. They showed a big fight sequence in one of the clips, which looked really spectacular. It seemed to be in, in uh, some sort of um, royal hall that they did that. Uh, so the fight sequences look like they've done an amazing job with. Um, they they showed some, some wonderful clips of, of some of the more emotional moments. So uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Don't Again, don't have a date for that, but that's coming to Netflix at some point. I think they reckon before the end of the year, but we still don't have a definitive date for that. I think they're fairly could be fairly sure that that series is going to go down pretty well they've thrown money at making it look absolutely gorgeous um from the the costuming the set design everything i've seen has just looked absolutely beautiful and as you were saying it's practically like hollywood movie level at some points um yeah so and with the popularity of the games being so high the love for the series is so high that seeing another version of that story i think is going to go down pretty well with fans and making it an adaptation of the books rather than as i was saying an adaptation of the games making it a double adaptation it's probably a way of giving themselves a lot more freedom yeah. and uh, a bit more separation from from the other series and yeah i haven't played the games or read the books and this might be my entryway into the series i think at this point because i've always been interested by it it's in in my kind of area yeah um 
and I think this is a, a, a lovely way of like getting people into it that, um, yeah, like I said, I haven't got around to reading the books and, uh, and playing the game because it's uh, on consoles that are a bit too too modern for me. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this might be my entry in and it may lead to more people then going and reading the books and playing the games um, because it's such a, an awesome world and uh, it has so much love out there and such a big fan base. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I like the, love the fact that you've got Henry Cavill playing the lead role and he's a complete fanboy for this thing. I mean, it became apparent very early on that he completely is in love with the character and the books and the games and uh yeah so i i love the fact that he's playing the lead and knows the character inside out she was saying that they you know they asked the question what is a witcher you know for those of people that don't know and uh lauren was sort of explaining well this is what i say a witcher is but we did this at new york comic con and henry was there and henry came out with like a 10 minute explanation of what a witcher was and talking about <laughs> mutagens and all this sort of stuff and it's like what is he talking about so uh, yeah henry knows his stuff so i i think you know if anybody's gonna nail it it's gonna be him yeah so, you can always see when an actor loves the role they're playing yeah so um he's a complete fanboy about it so i i'm very much looking forward to seeing that i hope it, it is as good as it looked in the clips that we saw um as i say don't know when that's coming but it is coming soon uh also coming relatively soon and we have a date for this is uh november 1st because it's on apple plus is the uh, c series which comes from peaky blinders creator Stephen Knight it's uh, Jason Momoa in the lead and they had a bunch of people on a panel for that so that was Stephen Knight the director Francis Lawrence uh, Jason Momoa Alfred Woodard and Archie uh, Mac Kikui, I think his name is. There's some of the cast and the director and the creator of it. We've talked a little bit about C before. This is the show that is set in a sort of far-flung future where a virus has decimated humankind. Uh, those who survived have emerged as blind and it is now at the point where the idea of sight is sort of something of a myth. So people that talk about the fact that humans could see are seen as heretics. So it, it's this this kind of weird world where, where sight is is kind of frowned upon and, uh, you know, and can actually have you being chased by hunters and stuff. So um, Jason Momoa is the lead, plays a character called Baba Voss. He's the leader of this village. He ends up being father to these two twins uh, and have these twins are born with the ability to see so he's got to try and protect the tribe and he's being chased by this desperate queen who is slightly mad I think it's fair to say and uh, wants them destroyed because they you know they're going against nature as far as she's concerned because they have the ability to see so um, they showed the first episode of it which I loved. I thought it's fantastic, really well done. You can sort of tell it's a Stephen Knight drama in that it has very much that kind of feel. There is a feel of Peaky Blinders to it. Obviously a completely different show, but the, it has very much his fingerprints all over it. You can feel that it is his. I thought Jason Momoa is, is great. I mean, it is him slightly doing his sort of Carl Drogo barbarian-y sort of thing again, but uh, he does that so well. There were a few little bits. That I think there's the little clips and stuff, and there's been a trailer up for it. Uh, it's very much not for kids. Um, I would say that now. It is not for a young audience. I would say it's probably a 15 rated sort of thing. Uh, there is a sequence where the Queen performs, I, I should say, a very 
interesting version of the Lord's Prayer. You will see that in the opening episode and you will understand why I describe it like that. Uh, so there is that. The hacker seems to have made its way into the apocalypse because uh, they there's a if you watch Graham Norton this week, they showed a little clip, which is the guys going off to battle. And uh, the, the sequence straight after that is, is them doing like a, a hacker sort of thing, which sort of makes sense in that context because they're trying to make a lot of noise and scare the enemy because one of the things they talk about on stage is how do you sort out a fight sequence where everybody involved is not supposed to be able to see each other so that that makes for kind of quite an interesting different fight sequence um and uh, they do an amazing job with it the first episode was was kind of interesting because it, it is involving the sort of birth of those children and I, I, as i understand it the later episodes because uh, archie who was one of the actors up on stage i don't think was actually in that first episode because he plays the grown-up version of one of the two one of the twins so uh, the first episode is very much involved around the kids being born and then i'm guessing the later episodes there is a time jump and it's about those kids as sort of teens i'm really excited to see more of that when it lands it looks like a really interesting show yeah it's an interesting concept and quite a difficult one to make into a tv series and you would expect that a world like that would be based a lot more about sounds and around um yeah it makes sense that things like the hacker would have moved forward in time and adapted and it's going to be fun to see what other things they have taken yeah and brought into that future and changed or what do they do when they they find things like books and things like that what do they think they are how do they interpret those things if they got to a point where humankind is convinced we never had the the power of vision like it would be yeah. interesting to see sort of like how relics and and things which are heresy are, are brought into that world and the reactions to that and uh how those those two children are going to change the 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 world they live in yes i'm really intrigued to see where they go because it's such a wonderful concept uh yeah there's little things like when they're they're sending and leaving messages for each other they are um uh, pieces of rope with knots tied in it so that that's how they're reading the kind of braille is sort of the spacing of the knots on the pieces of rope and stuff so yeah it's, it's really interesting to see how they've they've kind of designed it I'm going to ask around some of the PR guys and see if I can get some people from the production side of C on, because I think that will be a fascinating thing to talk about, the background of how they came up with a lot of that stuff, because it is really intriguing world that they've set up there. So I'm I'm uh, definitely going to be watching more of that when it comes out. The other big show that they had, which was they were showing, uh, they, they actually showed clips out of, it wasn't a full episode, was Alex Ryder, which um, doesn't actually have a broadcast yet is it's quite interesting they've this has been you know they've had trailers going up they've been putting out press coverage and stuff but it actually hasn't been picked up by anybody yet uh it was made by uh sony and 11th hour films and they just made the entire series so i think it's eight episodes the first season and they've made it already and now they're pitching it out to people so it's an interesting one because we don't actually know where it's going to be they have had a lot of interest they say it's gonna it is going to be picked up but they don't know where it's going to be picked up yet the panel that they did for that was uh, Otto Ferrand, who plays Alex Ryder, Vicky McClure, who plays Mrs. Jones, Ronky, I'm not going to pronounce her last name, uh, she plays Jack Starbright, creator and exec producer Anthony Horowitz, who also wrote the books, and Andreas Pacheska, who uh, who's the director, and Guy Burt, who was the writer. So that was quite a big panel we had for that. 
Guy Bert is actually writing the TV series. Uh, he's done things like Bletchley Circle and some, some quite serious drama, and he's got a BAFTA as well. So, I mean, he's no slouch. Uh, he's been, was brought on to write it because Horowitz is busy writing the next novel, which is called Nightshade and is apparently out next year. So, uh, that's why Guy Bert is writing it and sort of Horowitz has been involved and he's at EP, but he's sort of trying to keep hands off and let Guy kind of carry on with it. But he's been incredibly happy with what Guy's been doing with it. So the series, if you don't know Alex Ryder, based on, on the young adult books that Anthony Horowitz wrote, follows a teenager who is pushed into joining a secret government organisation called the Department after his uncle and adoptive parent is killed, apparently in a car crash, but it, it sort of revealed fairly early on that he is actually a spy and they want Alex to sort of take over the role, essentially. Interesting thing about the TV show is it begins with book two, which is called Point Blank. So they're, they're using that as the basis for it. The reason for that, I think, is due to the fact that uh, Stormbreaker, which was the, the first book, had already been turned into a movie and they kind of didn't want to uh, step over and into the story that had already been put onto film. There's videos for this panel up on the website and there was quite an amusing moment where one of the guys came up and basically asked, is the reason that you're not doing Storm Chaser because the fact that the movie was basically rubbish it was effectively what he said <laughs> to the writer of the movie and the writer of the book. And you could see the entire audience wince when they had to that and the panel just fell about in hysterics. Anthony was not happy I don't think with that question, but he sold you through. Uh, God love him. Yeah, so I mean, that that basically does appear to be the reason, though, was they just wanted to separate it from that. What they have done is, although the TV show is based around Point Blank, they've folded in a lot of those origin elements are actually folded into the Point Blank story. So it is a starting point. They've just managed to take those origin elements and fold them directly into the Point Blank story instead. You can start watching it without knowing anything about Alex Ryder. The other interesting thing that they said about it was that they've aged it up a little bit because I think Alex is supposed to be 14 in the books and in the TV show they're making him more kind of 16 they don't actually specify his age but he's clearly slightly older than 14 they've also made it a little bit more adult and a little bit darker in in the tone and uh, they sort of said that Guy has expanded the world and uh, Anthony was saying sort of it's actually a lot more intense than the books part of the reason for doing that is obviously they don't want to alienate the younger audience that do love them but they didn't want to make a kind of teen drama CWE type of series they didn't want to make that they wanted to make something which had a bit more of a broader appeal because you, you have to bear in mind that next year is the 20th anniversary of the novel and given that the novels are probably read by 10 12 year olds you've got people that are in their 30s that grew up reading these books so they want to be able to kind of do something which those people are going to enjoy as well as children that are reading the books now and in the years in between so they, they wanted to cast a wider net than just making it a teen-led drama, which is, is pretty much what the film was. And, uh, you yeah, know, Horowitz also said that the TV show is what he'd wished the film had been. So, you know, they showed a few little clips of this. It looks really good. And I don't mind the occasional teen drama, but I think this looks like a more rounded thing than that. And, and uh, I thought it looked really interesting and could actually be quite a good kind of spy TV show that just happens to have a young lead. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be one to look out 
out for. As I said, we don't know where that's going to end up. I'm hearing rumors it's probably going to end up on a streaming service, but we don't know which one yet. Screams Amazon Prime to me, in all honesty, but we'll see where it ends up. We'll let you know as soon as we hear something. I'm not hugely familiar with the book. Spy things aren't massively in my area, but I do like things like Kingsman. So is it more kind of James Bondy or is it more kind of on the, the Kingsman side of things? I, I think it's almost somewhere in the middle of that. It's not as silly as Kingsman. I mean, because Kingsman had, I mean, I love Kingsman as well, but you have the whole exploding heads thing and, and, that, and stuff like that. So it's it's not quite as comic book as, as Kingsman is, but it does have some humorous moments in it as well. So it's it's an interesting kind of mix of, of the two. Uh, and it's not like full James Bond, you know, Guy talked about on the panel about, because somebody asked about what sort of gadgets are we going to see? And Guy had sort of said that he thinks the best gadget that Alex had is his brain and you know they they showed a clip of him uh, you know breaking into the a, a desk at school using like a paper, paper clip and stuff and you know it's a very basic example of that you know it, it, there's almost a MacGyvery element to it as well so they're not kind of loading him up with loads of kind of cool gadgets and stuff it, it's him using his wits to get through things I mean there are some gadgets in there but it's it's more about him his wits and that sort of stuff so uh, yeah it, it's kind of a little bit in between the two I would say but I yeah I am quite looking forward to it I think the last panel that I saw was Simon Pegg who wasn't there to promote anything he was really particularly he has got a new show coming out uh, which is an Amazon Prime series but they weren't really he wasn't really there to particularly promote that he was just there to be Simon Pegg and talk about Simon Pegg things so you know he talked about Star Wars he talked about Star Trek um, talked a little bit about the upcoming show um, and Space which I think is the 20th anniversary or 30th anniversary or something ridiculous next year uh, so you know he talked a little bit about that stuff but yeah I mean it was Simon Pegg talking about being Simon Pegg pretty much yeah. I don't think anyone's going to complain about just Simon Pegg spending like 45 minutes on stage answering questions about Simon Pegg stuff because he's done such a, an incredibly wide variety of things and um yeah, I wish I'd got had a chance to drop in and see that one because I wanted to ask about him being the the voice in Dark Crystal. Yes, he did talk a bit about he's that. He's amazing in that. Yeah, he did talk a bit about that, and I seem to remember he said something about the fact that when he was a kid and went and saw Dark Crystal in the cinema, the voice of his character is the Chamberlain, I think he plays. Yeah, uh, and uh, he the voice that he came out, he distinctly remembers coming out of the cinema seeing the original thing, and the voice that he was doing coming out of the cinema was the Chamberlain and then he now gets to play it so it's you know. insane because he, he's just he's too much of an overachiever like is there anything that man can't do now we're adding like voice acting and not just using his own voice but for anyone that hasn't seen the dark crystal the chamberlain is it's not an easy voice to get right because if you get it wrong it could be really annoying and squeaky i did not realize until someone pointed out to me that that was him doing the voice. It sounded like right. the original voice actor had been brought back to do it. He's that spot on. Well, clearly, clearly he's been practicing it since he was ten years old. So that's probably why it shows. <laughs> you know, yeah, props to him for being so good at voice acting that I couldn't tell it was him at all. Yeah, so uh, he was fabulous. There is a video for that going up as well. Uh, I haven't actually edited it yet, but it should be up by the time this podcast goes out. So uh, yes, the, go and check that out. It'll be on the YouTube. It'll be on the uh, the website as well. So. 
that there's a whole bunch of videos for all these things going up on the website and on the YouTube channel. So go and check those all out. Anything else for OCM you want to mention? It was a blur. It was a blur. It was of awesomeness, a bit of a blur. Really. Yes. Um, it's all kind of merged into one. Um, yeah, I think we're at the point where they almost need to add an extra day to MCM. Yes. Um, add a Thursday as well as they do with uh, EGX. That would be awesome. And yes. uh, I think they're both run by ReadPop now, so I can say that without it uh, sound, <laughs> sounding mean. Um, definitely anyone who goes to the next ones, do check out all of the smaller stages for the panels because they're, they're all incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, also brilliant nights out. It was good to see you on the dance floor. Yeah, yes, I know. I dragged dragged Dave out onto the yes, dance floor. Yes, he was making some fox. crazy shapes. Yes, dancing, <laughs> uh, break dancing, cartwheels, everything the works. Always a great night and a great sense of community. And there's nothing like you know so many hundred people in cosplay doing the macarena yes. to remind you of uh, how friendly and welcoming the geek community is. Yes, it's always fun. The fox is always amazing after FCM. So uh, yeah, that was that was a great night. It had wonderful, wonderful time down at MCM London it's always always worth going it's really good fun even if you can only go down for like one day do it it's just great to be able to go and sit and you know meet people and if you're into kind of getting autographs and photos you can go and do that uh if you just want to go and sit and watch panels you can go and do that if you just want to see some awesome comic books you can go and do that so there's loads and loads of, of things and obviously millions of stuff to buy and t-shirts and geekiness and everything. everything full immersion into every geek thing you can possibly think of ever and growing every year by the looks of things as well which is brilliant to see yes so we're rolling birmingham next month so that's all the stuff we've been doing this week let's move on to a few little bits of tv and film news when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. TV and film news, a few bits of renewals, cancellations, and some interesting pickups this week. Uh, Marvel's Cloak and Dagger being cancelled after two seasons. Did you ever catch up with this? This was I, I meant to watch it, and now it's already been cancelled before I started. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and they actually used Cloak and Dagger in a kind of mini crossover with the Runaways this season mm. as well, but it's not managed to, to save it. Um, there are some changes going on with Marvel TV at the moment because Kevin Fahey, who uh, is the boss of, of the Marvel movies, is now basically the overlord of everything Marvel um, and and running absolutely everything now, pretty much. Um, Do you think he puts that on his CV? overlord of marvel tv yeah so i mean he's I a, yes he's overlord of of marvel everything that isn't the comics i think he's he's pretty much in fact no i think he's actually overlord of the, the he has some say in the guidance of the comic storylines as well so it's, it's a way of kind of integrating comics the films and the tv stuff all into one thing because they were kind of slightly separate entities as along with that jeff Loeb, who was the person that was in charge of marvel tv has decided to move on to do other things and uh, he's an amazing guy and I, I don't think the two things were directly related to each other but he is moving on to uh, 
to other stuff. So, which is, he's great for the community as a whole because he's a fantastic comic book writer and he's worked for Marvel. He's worked for DC. Uh, he's done other projects in his own right. So I'm very interested to see what Jeff does next. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are some changes going on there, which might see some of the uh, TV shows getting canceled, but there aren't that many of the, the kind of non movie related, non NCU TV shows out there now because Agents of Shield is coming to an end. Cloak and Dagger, they've just canceled. There's Runaways still going and they have got the Hellstrom series coming, but there's not that many sort of things that are outside MCU stuff so that was sort of separate Marvel TV left. So we'll be interested to see where that all ends up at the end of it. Adventure Time, the cartoon series, that has apparently been revived for four specials at HBO Max. So if you're an Adventure Time fan, that is going to be coming back. Uh, HBO Max, of course, is the US streaming service. Uh, BBC Two have renewed the legal comedy Defending the Guilty for a second season, so that is coming back. Amazon Prime Video has ordered a second season of Modern Love, which is their sort of anthology romantic comedy series that's coming back. The final trailer for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker dropped. Did you catch this no but then i've been living under a very large rock called mcm and egx i've missed the vinyl trailer yes it is up on the website you can go check it uh we did a breakdown of the uh, the trailer as well there's some very interesting stuff there's a lot of things seemingly in a crash to death star on that there is a planet that looks very endor like there is a water planet that apparently they've since revealed is one of the other moons or one of the other planets around where that the uh, second Death Star crashed and yeah well some of the bits I think may have ended up on Endor some of it ended up on that water planet so there's that there is is showdowns between Kylo and Rey uh, there's an interesting what looks to be some sort of floating iceberg thing with a base on it uh, there looks to be in the Emperor's throne room people running around on on what I think are all backs uh, which are sort of horse like things apparently on the top of a star destroyer which is a little weird but uh yeah that looks cool Why not? Uh, at this point i think we don't query it I'm, no. I'm, it's weird because it's um i was kind of like after the last movie i was kind of like mm, there were a lot of things i wasn't quite on board with is this being a trilogy and changing directors and changing directors back always makes things very kind of chop and changey and things but then i keep seeing how beautiful the trailers are and um, yeah. i know i'm gonna go and see it it's just sort of like i don't, I don't know why i even bother saying i might not go to the cinema to see it because I always do yes of course you will yeah (laughs) so uh so yeah, I, I'm really interested to see what they do with this, uh, particularly after Ryan Johnson kind of drove it in a different direction to I think the way JJ had he done the second film as well would have taken it. So uh, it'd be interesting to see JJ pull that back again. Um, but uh, yes, I'm so excited for that. The trailer looked fabulous. So that's up on the website if you want to go and check that. And there was a little bit of news from All 4, which uh, we hadn't actually put on the site because it dropped out whilst I was down at MCM. They have released 100 hours or are in the process of releasing 100 hours of anime series onto the all four streaming service uh first 10 series have been released now uh there are 14 titles in the collection comprising of 285 dubbed episodes um there are a wide selection of anime from introductory titles such as tokyo ghoul megalobox persona 5 the animation nostalgic classics like cowboy bebop 
Card Captor Sakura, Mobile Suit Gundam, the original. The, the, the origin. The, oh, sorry, Moda. Mobile Suit Gundam, Gundam the, the origin. origin. Yes, sorry, you're right. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, the original Mobile Suit Gundam was in 1979. It would be quite different to yeah. Mobile Suit Gundam, the origin, if that makes sense. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> um, yes, but you know the Gundam series rather well. So, um, so yeah, there's a few others as well, but I'm not a huge anime person, as you can tell by by reading those titles. Uh, but uh, yes, they're on all four, so they're free if you uh, want to go and catch up on your anime, which I thought might be your sort of thing. It, it is. I'm I'm one of those people that's going to immediately say. I've just seen the word dubbed in that sentence. I wish they would have given an option for the subtitled right. versions as well, because I am one of those people. Uh, some dubbed things are awesome. There are some examples of things which I have watched in both and enjoyed as much in both. And we do have, especially nowadays with the more modern series, is the voice acting and the talent of voice acting yeah. that we have coming in is 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 wonderful but with some of those older series yeah although none of the nostalgic classics listed there i would consider particularly old um you know being that um yeah mobile suit gun down the origins like 2010 or something card kappa sakura um came out when i was in maybe college or uni um cowboy bebop again i think was when i was in uni so i i did maybe i'm just old but i don't consider those things old a while ago bex <laughs> it, it was a while ago, but I consider nostalgic classics things from like the seventies and eighties, <laughs> rather than than things from uh, yeah from from that recently. So maybe all the ones they've picked are okay with the dub, but some of the older, the, some of the original stuff I started watching, um, yeah, yeah. D- dubbed was kind of a, a watchword for this. Now sounds super squeaky and um, right, uh, yeah. exaggerated, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what those things are, and it is wonderful as well. Like as much as I say, like I prefer subtitle stuff, and then people will start sort of looking at me and rolling their eyes slightly it is a wonderful way to get more people involved and bringing them into watching a lot of things that they might not watch because i know some people obviously have problems with following what's happening on the screen and reading the subtitles but i'm i'm in favor of options um exactly so i would I, i i would if they'd said dubbed or subtitled options i would then be super super happy but it is it is nice to see um more more japanese animated stuff being showcased on things like all four and um because it is becoming more and more mainstream and uh, it is nice to see it in a a more mainstream forum like that and it looks like they've got a good selection of titles too so they've also got a whole load of adult swim stuff they picked up a few months back that that's all on all four as well so there is lots and lots of stuff uh if you're into animated things there's loads of it on all four right now so uh, go and check all that out that's that looks great moving on to some other news stories the 100 prequel which i wasn't even aware was being developed but apparently there is a a 100 prequel or the the 100 sorry i should say the 100 prequel has been set as a backdoor pilot for the cw so uh, backdoor pilots if you don't understand that phrase is basically when they shove a pilot episode into the run of the existing series it will be in the upcoming season of the 100 they are going to shove of a a pilot for this prequel idea that they've got into the upcoming series. The untackled prequel comes from Jason Rothberg, who is the current developer and showrunner of the series. It's set 97 years before the events of the original series, so it's pretty much as the nuclear apocalypse starts to decimate the 
planet and a whole bunch of people go up onto the space station which is the people that we end up following in the hundreds that get sent back down to earth afterwards rather than following the group into space for the prequel they're sticking with the people on the ground so this sounds like it's sort of the origins of the grounders which i I think could be quite interesting so it's it's going to be the people on the ground who are learning to cope with this kind of dangerous volatile world how they survived how they are fighting to create this new and better society from the ashes of the stuff that came before that sort of thing do you watch the hundred have you been following it i have watched a bit of the of the hundred but effectively everything this series does is the other bit than the bit i want to see right i want to see how they adjust to life in space i want to see how they decide who goes like i I just uh, it's it's very frustrating for someone like me because it is effectively like a a post-apocalyptic survival type thing um yeah so it's you know like a lot of these other things like walking dead and like um revolution all these kind of things it's kind of they're looking at the bit that I'm least interested in personally, when it's like, oh, there's going to be a, a prequel. I was like, oh, is it going to be how they got into space and how they adapted then? It's like, no, it's going to be the people who didn't go into space. So, yeah, but that is just me and my personal preference for everything to have a spaceship in. Um, yes, I know. Yeah. But yeah, I was a little bit like, oh, this might be the series for me. And then immediately, like two lines of description later, I was like, this one isn't. But I suspect, yeah, for people that are following the hundred and they want to see the origins of all those other characters, then that could be a really interesting way for them to broaden the world and uh, develop the understanding for the people that are fans of the current series. I'm kind of with you on that. I was interested to see the kind of space series and presumably they're not going to show like you know bits up in space because they the, the whole thing is the fact that they don't know there are still people on the ground when they're in space so presumably there's not going to be any connection between the two but we'll, we'll see what they come up with uh, it's it's an interesting one that and we'll get to see the pilot because it's going to be part of the next run so uh, we'll see what they're kind of planning for that and if it goes down okay maybe we'll get like a continuation with this prequel because the hundred finishes next season anyway so we'll wait and see the other bit of news was apple tv plus have cast lee pace and jared harris in the adaptation they're doing of isaac asimov's foundation do you know foundation it's not- i know the foundation series but i haven't actually read it myself it's on one of those lists of like things, things i should yeah. have read but i haven't actually got around to reading it i have a massive pile of books like that um so it's quite an interesting one to see that that's being picked up for an adaptation i think it's gonna be quite a lot of people in the sci-fi community interested to see how that one goes yeah and i mean uh lee pace jared harris both fabulous actors so you know that's good i i very happy to see them in there the adaptation comes from david s goyer who was the screenwriter behind dark knight trilogies he did da vinci's demons he did krypton terminator dark fate a whole bunch of other things as well so uh that's the person that's doing it uh the foundation if you aren't aware of it uh follows a band of exiles who discovers that the only way to save their galactic empire from destruction is to defy it that's the basic strapline for it so uh i don't know the novel series at all so i'm going into this completely blind uh harris is playing harry selden who is a mathematical genius who predicts the demise of the empire pace is apparently set to play brother day who is the current emperor of the galaxy jared harris you've recently seen on chernobyl uh the emmy multi-award winning chernobyl so uh that he was in he's also recently was in carnival row uh the terror he was in the crown um he's been on the expanse mad men fringe pompeii um whole bunch of other things lee pace of course 
probably best known as Ronan the Accuser at the moment and uh, playing uh, the Elf King in the Hobbit trilogy. But to many of us, I think he's known for pushing daisies. Uh, he's in Wonderfalls. Uh, Halt and Catch Fire is the thing he's been doing, doing more recently on TV as well. Uh, both fabulous actors. Uh, as I say, I don't know the books. I can't say whether they're mm. appropriate do you know to the which roles, books but... it's based on because I, I... the foundation like series there were some original stories out like i want to say at the start of the 50s and then there's the trilogy that people know that came out a bit later and then he continued writing like he like 20 years later he started writing more books that went with it so obviously there's quite a lot of variety in them so we yeah. just know at what point they're picking up the series it sounds like i mean as i said the uh, Harris is playing the the mathematical genius who predicts the demise of the empire. So I'm assuming that's the starting point. I've just don't, no idea because I don't know the books. I don't know where that fits into the whole thing. But yeah, it started off with some short stories. So maybe they're starting off with the trilogy, which is probably the most yeah. well known part. I mean, the series overall, it's won it's won a Hugo Award. Right. Um, yeah. At, at some point as well so it is something that's uh, pretty highly acclaimed if, if you're into your old school sci-fi and uh, yeah it's definitely one that people like me definitely should have read and um, I don't think it's had an adaptation before no not that I'm aware of Robin Asimov uh, who I'm assuming is a child of uh, Isaac is is serving as a deputy producer so there is an Asimov involved in the whole thing as well uh, and if anybody can pull this off it's probably Apple because they've got like the money to be able to throw at it so uh, yes that will be coming don't know when but they are definitely working on it because they've started casting it so it may be a few years off yet but uh, it is out there so uh, that's that's one to look out for when that arrives so that's all the news we've got for this week. Let's move on to the interview. The interview this week is, of course, from Comic-Con. Uh, it is the audio from the C-Panel. There is obviously a video version of this, but you can't really watch a video if you're driving along in the car and listening to this. So I put the audio onto the uh, podcast. I haven't been through and double-checked the audio for this, so my apologies if there is language in there that is inappropriate and you've got small children in the car. Just to be aware that they, I, I've not gone through like every... They, there may be some slightly naughty words in here. Uh, so apologies for that if that is the case. Slightly naughty words. Uh, it is, just, it is the potty mouth Jason Momoa as, as part <laughs> of this. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I can't remember whether they, there was any swearing in the interview, but uh, apologies if there is. Uh, but you have been warned before we go out uh, that that may pop up. I don't think there was anything particularly nasty because they were they were talking about in front of a Comic-Con audience. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, this is the panel for C. It is Stephen Knight, who is the creator of it. It's Francis Lawrence who's the director Jason Momoa Alfie Woodard and Archie uh, McKaywee I think or Mc, McKaywee I think his name is um, who are the uh, three cast as well so uh, here's the interview that was done then obviously it's not me asking the questions it's whoever was hosting the panel I can't remember who that guy was so uh, here's the interview we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV Wow. Um, right, well, thanks for coming, everyone. Cheers for that. Hey, listen, lovely to see you all. First of all, <laughs> how epic was that? Um, can I start by saying I heard the rumour, and I don't know if this is true, $15 million an episode? Is that, is that... No, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen the reports that this is the most expensive show ever made, which wow. is not true. 
Oh, we not <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know where people got that story. It's not true. It wasn't cheap, but it was def- it's definitely not the most expensive show for me. I, I read, though, that you guys did some incredible stuff. I mean, the, the locations are amazing, but did you drain a river? To, to put these, I, I really yeah, actually, Francis, Francis is a visionary. I mean, both of them are, Stephen and Francis. But Francis is like, what's under this lake? Drain it. Sure enough, there were these, these stumps. He's like, this is going to be amazing because civilizations would have cut all this down. Now I want grass everywhere. So about three months, they just sat and they seeded this grass. And then, uh, and then we showed up. And then we filled it back up when the village was gone. That's the kind of vision that... Well, Francis wants Francis guess. <laughs> I just, I kind of just picture Aquaman going, no, not the water, no, <laughs> save the water. Um, let's talk about the, the sheer size of production. Then you said, uh, talk about the locations and, and, and where you guys went to film. Uh, we shot in British Columbia, which is in the um, northwest of Canada, just uh, sort of above the northwest part of the United States. We were based in Vancouver, but we ended up shooting a lot on Vancouver Island and up toward Whistler and out in the desert sometimes. And so typically we were a good hour and a half, two hours away from where we were all living. So we were really going out into the wild. Um, We didn't step foot onto a soundstage until I think episode six. So everybody kind of had to brave the rain and the cold and the mud and animals and, you know, all of that. I was going to say, what, what, what's it like being out on location for you guys as actors? Because, I mean, presumably, you know, when you're doing your scenes, it's great and you're kind of busy. But on those down moments, not that you actually get many, judging from the first episode. But what, what are you guys go doing? Because you're in the middle of nowhere. You're like, I'm going to go get Burger King. It was sort of like the Shackleford expedition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jason would Google play his it. Jason would play his bass guitar a lot. He was wander around with his bass guitar. Yeah, I have a problem jam still, so I just have a bunch of toys. So because I'm like, oh look, squirrel, and I'll just like wander <laughs> off. So it like makes me sit. I just have my music. But I think that it definitely kept us in it. I think when you go to a soundstage, you have distractions like your phone, and you can go and sit down in a nice warm room and things like that. Well, I sometimes get distracted, and I found that it was way nicer just being out there together knowing we were there doing the work well maybe you can tell us a little bit about your characters because obviously we've we've just kind of met them in episode one first before we do that can we just talk about that battle wow how yeah it's pretty epic isn't it and one thing you take from that battle is the fact that this is a tv show of that scale you know, what's that like trying to put that onto technically a small screen? Although, let's be honest, none of us have small screens anymore. But what, what's that pressure like to do a battle like that, Jason? Because, I mean, that's pretty brutal. I mean, a lot of it was already set in stone with, with, uh, with Francis and, and everyone designing everything. I mean, you come in and you have a couple ideas, but that whole beautiful, amazing scene had been crafted and written way ahead before I even got there. So... I just never done a fight scene where you can't actually look at someone before you're going to get hit. It's basically just fighting with a blindfold. So that whole technique of like learning different ways to grapple and stay connected to the person you're going to hurt. And then just the whole idea of like covering it up with sense. So we all know who's, who's, who. So you see us spreading that stuff on us. That's so we, you know, can smell and know who we are. And, um, yeah, it was tough. It's, I mean, that's hands down the hardest fight scene I've ever done because we're, on a wall in the rain in the mud wearing I don't know like wearing like a football it's just, it's just hardcore leather and it's very 
Or as I call it, Wednesday. It's just yeah, a normal it's Wednesday just, here. Yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about costumes, because, I mean, obviously, you have a little bit of body art, um, but in this, you all have kind of tribal markings. So is there hours in makeup to get these tribal markings on? Because they look pretty authentic. Some people came in two, three hours ahead of the pre-dawn call. Um, I, I made sure that mine... I had some on my neck in the beginning, but I convinced them that I had spent a lot of time and money making sure that my neck never wrinkles. So I didn't want to scrub on it. So I said, okay, so put some more on my face. But yes, that, that was a great thing. No makeup, but tons of tribal markings. But what I will say is I think that, you know, one of the, the, the foundational element of the show in terms of design on all fronts, and this came from, from Stephen, was, this, uh, was the idea of blindness, right? That everybody's learning to live blind and has evolved to live blind. And part of the reason they have these markings and it's scarification, not ink, is because it's tactile. So the idea is that we're working in all the other senses, right? So it's about touch, it's about smell, it's about temperature, it's about taste. And so for for this tribe and the people that populate the show, it's a it's a tactile sensation as opposed to something that visually represents something to somebody. Um, maybe we should talk about the fact that I, I don't know if... Do you guys have, like, a blind school? Like, how do you learn to be blind? Because obviously we take for granted the fact that you know, us, us guys sitting here, we can all see. So to take that away, does it genuinely enhance your other senses? Do you, tr do you practice or do you just kind of go, hey, I've just got to close my eye? You know, how do you actually do that? Because it looks pretty authentic. Well, my character can see, but I want, I'd speak for everyone. I say, you never learn to be blind. Like we were taught by Joe Streche a particular set of skills that people that are blind use day to day. And, you know, we could use those skills and, you know, mine and Nessa's characters, Henry and Kofun, we live our eyes closed, with our eyes closed most of our lives. And so, you know, we all lived in the same community. We all lived in the same world. We, de we developed and enhanced those skills that Joe taught us to create like this world. But you never learn to be blind. We can't do that. What kind of skills are they, though? Because you almost like, particularly in the fight thing, is it, is it done like a dance? Is it like, do you trick, I kind of go, you're going to do two steps forward? Because if you're not necessarily seeing that person, to know they've done their steps at the right time without getting hurt, it, it's, it yeah, must be a difficult Yeah, you get hurt. <laughs> you get hurt. Okay, fine. You just get a punch in yeah, the face. I mean, it is. I mean, like any fight scene, it's definitely choreographed. I mean, it's all blocked out and safety. And we spent a solid month on that fight scene getting everything ready. It's a very intricate, with the camera and the elements, it's it was a uh, that full-on dance i mean that one was unbelievable i'm like that far away from hitting um dave big dave like it's very very close and i can see obviously because i'm actually looking more his way than i'm fighting the guy so i mean we get really close so you guys we spent wearing a month uh in training in uh training to to just be introduced to the skills that that people who are blind use to navigate the physical world. So not only the primary actors, but everybody in the, all the atmosphere, everybody, at least 300 people, the stunts people, everybody took, tried to, was introduced to the same language. And so you add that, some of us just had to add uh, the, our approach to acting, how we bring a character uh, from the page to a human being. But then the people that had to do action had to, uh, had to, 
marry the way of moving about with their very daring stunts. Did you find that any of your senses, the other senses were enhanced in any way whilst visually, you know, impairing your vision? Did you find that? I, th I think what we found was, I don't think that their, their other senses were enhanced, but I think when they did the training, they would put on a sleep shade and they would be um, taught some skills by Joe Stretch, our, our consultant. And I think what they discovered is that they would then focus more on the senses that they're not used to focusing on. And for everybody, it would be something slightly different, right? I think, Alfre, you were taste. Um, some people could feel temperature. I think Sylvia said she, she got really suddenly focused on temperature changes. And that could help her navigate through through a space. But it wasn't that that was enhanced. It was just that without the sort of dominant sense, when that's taken away from them briefly, you then start to focus on these other senses and learn how to use them. And people then sort of ad ad adapted those feelings into their character work. Um, I would like to talk about where this concept comes from. Stephen, because obviously we know you from Peaky Blinders. Uh, I'm a big fan of a film called Lock, which uh, you did with Tom Hardy, which I absolutely loved. Um, where did this idea come from, and how did you then go, hey, let's go pitch it to Apple? Because, I mean, yeah. that's insane, right? It's a huge thing. I, I mean, I don't know. Ideas come from a mysterious place. I think it's probably the same place the dreams come from. So it's sort of a question of sometimes when you're thinking about something else, something will come to you. But this... Happened to come to me when I was in um, I was in LA, and two days after I'd had the idea and thought about it and worked it out and, and thought about the family and the journey, I happened to be getting the lift from um, my favourite producer in the world, Jeno Topping, and I I got in the car and, I, and she said, "What are you working on?" I told her this idea, and she began to drive more and more slowly, which I think was a good sign. Then by the time we got to Santa Monica, she said she wanted to do it, so. I wrote the first two hours. Uh, we took it around town. Um, it felt that Apple, because this is a new venture, this is quite a groundbreaking idea, uh, it felt that Apple were the right people. And the great thing that they did, and hopefully will continue to do, is leave the creative people alone, give you space, rather like the BBC do. Um, and so we, we can edit that. that. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we can cut that. It's fine. Hey, buddy, I still work for them. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, not anymore. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it gives you space, gives you you know room to do stuff. And because we got the best possible people, that's why it's the best possible thing. I was going to say there was a, I think it was about a year ago when J Jason, you guys were um, on the keynote, and you kind of teased uh, uh, that we were going to get C. And one of the things they were talking about at the keynote was the fact that we want to leave these creative geniuses alone. Um, is that is that one of the things that appealed to you about doing such a big show like this for Apple TV Plus? I've never had a script come to me that was this great. And normally there's a lot of actors in line before I even get there. So Stephen's script was it's the best I've ever read. So... That was amazing. Francis, that level of director, and then Apple to be able to launch that whole platform. I mean, it was it was a, a surreal. I mean, so and then to be one of the lead characters in it. I, I literally read three pages and then called my agent back and I said, book this. And because they were a little worried, they're like, oh, you've done this and you've played the barbarian and these kind of roles. And but I really want you to read it. And the moment I read it, I'm like, it's not about that. It's about a man trying to keep his family together. And the more that, I, and then when I had a conversation with Stephen, he told me his whole idea about it, and I just went, "Oh!" Then I met Francis, and I met the producers, and it was, 
It was it, in, in truth, there is only one person on earth who could play Baba Voss. Yeah. It's true. Um, Thanks, bro. Thanks for writing it. I really needed a job. I needed good material. I have two problems. Number one, I, I, I find it hard to believe there's ever a queue of people that, that before, before him ever in a, in a, in a job battle. Um, number two, um, I, I, and again, I, you kind of answered this to a degree, but I, I read that this was the part that you always wished you could play. Is that right? I mean, like in terms of in terms of the roles that come to you, this is the one that you you felt was the I most. Think, I you? think everything in my career has led me to this moment to play this character because I feel like a lot of the characters I've played, they've never gotten to exercise the rest of their life. Maybe they've died off. Maybe there was too much about their past that we never saw first. Like this starts from the beginning, and we're going to arc through the whole thing. And I get to go through all of these beautiful colors and I've never experienced that with a lot of my other characters. So I feel like this has everything of me and obviously the challenge of, you know, being blind, but, um, it's a lot. These eight episodes are unbelievable and it's hands down the, the best work I've ever done. It's the best show I've ever been on. And I'd, I'd probably agree with you, except for the fact I've seen your uh, show Baywatch. So I'm just saying, don't worry. I'm going to fucking beat you up. Oh it. man. <laughs> You don't speak about... Sorry, Baywatch. children. Do you know what? Do you know what? Uh, earlier on, they were like, look, we, we put Jason that end, we'll put you this end. I think it's just safest. And I was like, hey, man, no, 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 we'll be fine. We've met before on, on this little movie, I think, I can't remember, it was called Justice Something. And uh, we gone great. I mean, you mocked me when I said I was going to go to the gym. I don't know if you remember that, but you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Laugh it up. I think you said something like, I doubt you could even spell Jim. I, I think that was... <laughs> I apologize, and I won't beat you up afterwards. God bless you. I love you, man. And uh, I will definitely go see you if you ever do another Justice League. Um, Alfred, can we talk about uh, Paris and, and how you got into the, your character? How, wh what kind of development did you go into to find this character? Also, quick, just quickly, we've set you two together, because you're very much Marvel. Um, and don't look away. <laughs> I don't want to break up a happy home, I'm just saying, because I've heard rumors of season two. Uh, but you're Black Panther animated. Civil War? Luke Cage. Don't mention that. Different show. Mariah. Stokes. Luke Cage. Um, and then DC. How's that, how's that work on set? We never brought it up. Oh, okay. So, so it was fine until now. Great. Okay, fine. Um, Alfred, as you were saying about your character. Um, okay, so... Honestly, when my people, my reps said, there's this script we're going to send you that Stephen Knight has, I said, I'll do it. They said, no, no, and uh, Francis Lawrence is going to direct it. I said, I I'm going to do it. They said, read the thing first. And I read it, and I've never turned pages so fast, and I've never said, oh, my God, oh, no, oh, shh. <laughs> so I was, I was so ready for it. You could have asked me to be an Ayura. You could have asked me to just, you know, take the first stab and I'm out of there. I just wanted to be in it. So especially after Mariah, which was so deliciously villainous, I didn't necessarily want to be like a real nice woman and all. But I found Paris and I found her a lot through first doing that, the blindness sensitivity training and working with a guy called um, 
uh, Paradox Pollock, who helped us with movement and discovering uh, the tribal, cultural, and our anthropology. So actually, in the process of that and what is given, I never go to work without a good script. I was able to find Paris, and then I loved her. And then once she helped birth your babies into the world while I was squatting, I hadn't squatted since I was a cheerleader, squatting for three days. And those, those babies were only two weeks old. Roman, the one that sees the, the hawk, that rascal weighed 12 pounds at two weeks. And they said, don't worry, Veda is smaller. She weighed 11 pounds. They, we have to slather them in KY jelly and jam. And I had never been closer to God than in those moments because I just said, God, if I drop the babies, I'm going to have to jump off the mountain. It's just, yeah. So it was easy to get into it once they thrust me into it. I, I don't know if anyone wants to see our free squat. No, no, it's a different story. Hang on. And jam? Oh, yeah, no. Ugh, right, yeah, yeah. Jam. I can't have breakfast tomorrow because of you now. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> Archie, what about, what about discovering this? Because obviously, uh, you know, we, I've seen you many of your TV stuff as well. To, to go into this level, what was that like for you? Because, you know, this is slightly bigger than some of the smaller dramas and stuff that you've worked on. I mean, obviously, it's huge. But you don't really... I didn't want to scare you and say huge. <laughs> yeah, but it's huge, but you don't really think about... Um... It's weird, you don't really think about that thing as you first get into it. Like, you read a script and, like, you, you fall in love with the world, like, you know, these two have said. And and then all of those things, and you, I went for a screen test with Francis and Nestor, and all the pieces kind of just start adding up. And then we, we all meet, and we're on set, and we all get on. And there's never a moment, there was one moment I remember sitting there and thinking holy shit, like, this is massive. Like, and it was in, it was one, it was during the slaver fight. And I was sitting, I was sitting on the, I was, I, I'm not going to tell anything. I'm not going to tell any plots. Don't worry about You've that. You've only seen episode but, one. Like, and you don't know what that means, but I was just sitting in the middle of this set in an episode, won't tell you which one, but I was just looking around me thinking, <laughs> Like, this is insane. <laughs> like, and and uh, I was just watching Joey work and like all this crazy. I've never been a part of fight scenes like that. And it was a learning experience, but you don't enter the world thinking, oh my God, this is so massive. Like, I just tried to like get my head around the character and the world and how exciting all of those things were. I actually, when I first read, I read for Gather Backs. And um, and I auditioned for Gather Backs, and then I remember being sent the sides for Kofun, and it was like Kofun is Kofun can see, and I was like, well, that's shit. <laughs> I was like, this whole world is like a world that you know the entire world is blind, and I, that's boring. And then I and then I realized like how much you know these twins mean to the story. So yeah, it was. Thank you so much for not swearing as well, buddy. That's really good of you. <laughs> I literally ran no, straight no, no, up with the card. We can edit this later. It's fine. I mean, it's live streaming probably around the world, and we are. Sorry, um, guys. So thank you, buddy. I love the fact that literally, Alfred, you're the only one we can rely on. You beeped your own swear word. So thank you. Thank you. You're the only one actually making the final cut of this interview. Shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm never working again. 
Um, before we let you go, because we know you guys have got such a, uh, an incredibly busy time with this show, and it is epic. Um, I got told not to ask this question, but hey, you lot have sworn, so fuck it. Um, I, I read, and sorry, Apple, I'm going to do it. Um, you guys have got season two already. Have you or not? Hang on. No, no, no. Jason, don't look at me like I'm still going to get hurt. I know I'm going to get hurt. Oh, man. I'm just visualizing the things I'm going to do to you. <laughs> hey, listen, buddy. Unless they don't have to happen. You're only human. Um, <laughs> quit when you're ahead. Quit when you're ahead. Quit when you're ahead. <laughs> um, all right, let's start this end. You got season two. Uh, maybe. No, you need to talk into that because you know it's been recorded. <laughs> We can't possibly say. I don't think. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. We are, so there's eight episodes, right? Eight episodes, 1st of November, Apple TV Plus. Um, hi, Apple. If you could send me the other seven, I'd be grateful. Um, it's all going to be uh, available, I think, the first three in the first, first week. And then we get first, the rest- three, first three on November 1st, and then one a week after that. Okay, one a week. Let's go back to that then. So is this going to go back to, do you remember when we used to watch a TV show weekly and everyone would then go to work the next day and go, oh man, did you see that? And you could talk about, because that's kind of died a little bit in the last couple of years for us. Because there's always some little shit at work. Oh yeah, they died at the end of year. Thanks buddy, I'm on season two. Yeah, I'm on episode one. So do you feel like that's the way TV should be? I I think the way that we're doing this is great, is that people get enough to begin with so they get three hours, and then you do get that thing where you have a reason the morning after to start talking about something because everybody watched it at the same time. So I think this is the perfect way of rolling it out. Um, So back to my earlier question, you've got season two. Fine, fine, don't worry. Um, we asked the audience if they had some questions. Would you like to hear what those questions were? Very yeah, quickly? definitely. All right, here they are. You're not going to like any of these. Um, Jody said, will you marry me? I don't know who it was for, but she said, will you marry me? I can't. I, I'm not allowed, but I don't know. Jason, it's probably for you. Married, sorry. Oh, man, <laughs> so close. Um, Cara says, um, could you do some more Hunger Games? <laughs> I kind of feel... There I've, is. There is a new book. Woo-hoo! I'm just saying, there's a new book that's out in May. Uh, James, Very exciting. James says, is there a Zack Snyder cut of C? Probably not. Uh, Noah said, will you take me to Atlantis? Noah wants to go to Atlantis. No? No, sorry, no, you're not going. And finally, Beck said, will you have my children? I don't know whether, I don't know who it was for, whether she wants to nip out and I've needs a babysitter. Them. I've had them come home, please. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, will you please go crazy for our incredible cast? Um, Stephen Knight, Francis Lawrence, Archie Medecki, Alfred Renard, and Jason Momoa. That was the panel for C from MCM Comic Con. Uh, C is coming on to Apple Plus TV on the 1st of November. Um, so you'll be able to get it very, very soon. Uh, Apple Plus TV, you don't need an Apple box for it. It is available on certain smart TVs. You go and check your apps. There may be an app for Apple Plus TV on the uh, App Store. Uh, you can get it on your Amazon Fire Stick. You can get it on your Roku box. Uh, you can actually just go to the website and watch it directly online and you know if you can stream it from there there's there's so many different places to get apple tv you don't need an apple box for it uh, i think it's 5.99 a month to to pay for it and they've got some great stuff coming on so it is worth looking at but uh, that's c and that is coming this week 
With that out of the way, let's move on to some highlights for next week on TV. So highlights for next week, and it's a packed week of TV, mainly because of the launch of Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, there is a lot of good stuff coming in. Arrow starts its eighth and final season. That's on Sky One on the 30th of October at 8pm. That arrives. Uh, Stephen Amell back as Green Arrow for the final time. Uh, Apple Plus TV, as we said earlier, that launches on the 1st of November. So that means C is uh, launching on there. You've got The Morning Show, which is the show with uh, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell, which is behind the scenes of a US TV morning show. That looks really good. You've got For All Mankind, which is the new Ronald D. Moore alt history drama where the USSR beats the US to the moon. Um, and that looks like it's going to be a fabulous series as well. That's also on Apple TV Plus on the 1st of November. Uh, there is a bunch of other things as well launching on Apple TV Plus, but those were the three kind of big ones that I thought were interesting. Uh, Atypical returns on the 1st of November as well. That is for its third season that's absolutely brilliant that series it's the comedy about the 18 year old kid who is on the autistic spectrum uh, third season i think season goes off for, to college so i'm very much looking forward to that returning because it's it's so wonderfully written that show uh that's on netflix and that's atypical on the first of november also on the first of november jack ryan returns for its season two this is john Krasinski back as jack ryan uh first season of this was absolutely fabulous uh so that's on amazon prime first of november as well his dark materials third of november finally comes to bbc one we've been talking about this forever that's arriving at 8 p.m on the third of november on bbc one that's going to be one definitely to look out for and end of the effing world is back for its second season on channel four i think they're actually it's on the 4th of november they're starting that but it's going to run i think throughout the week and then it's up on all four and then it will be on netflix afterwards so yeah, it's all over the place uh, so that is the second season of end of the new world not short of tv for the next week i don't think if you want to go and watch things yeah and as i need a rest for about a week to recover yes. from all the events um that's probably exceptionally good timing for me yes definitely uh so go and check all that stuff out anything else you want to mention that that we haven't covered already i think we've covered um, quite a lot i i think we've covered a, a very amount of things everything else is just a blur of awesomeness for the last few weeks in fact um but yeah i'm i'm gonna be getting some edits of the interviews done and i'll put hand those over to dave to put up on the geektown.co.uk website as part of the comic-con coverage um and other than that you can find me hopefully slightly less tired and dazed than i seem to be today at trista bites spelt b-y-t-e-s because i thought i'd be funny and make a pun um over on youtube twitch facebook twitter and instagram yes so go and check that out uh tired beck streaming is is hilarious to watch so uh yes go go and go and check that out when she's doing a twitch streaming it's really funny for me obviously there's stuff going up from mcm and all the other news and air dates and everything else going up on geektime.co.uk hopefully i will manage to keep going although the outer worlds came out this week which is a new video game from obsidian the people that are behind the original fallout series and the game is effectively kind of fallout mixed with firefly i played the opening bit of it and i'm desperately trying not to spend all my time just sat playing that right now so uh yes if there's a slowdown in posting that's probably why but uh yes we will be posting more stuff up on uh, geektown.co.uk go and check that out go and check out the youtube channel because there are things going up on uh, youtube.com forward slash geektown as well lots of videos going
going off in there. Um, so uh, if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments, email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. Leave a message on the website post. Find us at Geektown on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Geektown, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Geektown, and on Instagram at Geektown UK. There will be some cosplay photos coming up when I get around to doing the edits. Uh, that is everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.